So uh, as we, as I mentioned, we are going through continuing Romans, and as we look to the next chapter of this, Romans 13, uh, very uh, um, somewhat difficult and and, and controversial um, passage, especially at this time. You know, we live in a very complex world don't we um you know this as as most of you know i teach an ethics class and i I mentioned before that when it came to the issues of civil disobedience and all that i'd always tell my class that you'll probably have to face this but 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 i I probably wouldn't i'm I'm an old man i could see it you know i'm and i would say i'm sorry it just it's just it's tough being you but for me I, i wouldn't have to face it but uh, I don't think anybody could have predicted this last year, last couple of years here, how quickly, how quickly the world's changing, how quickly the world's going through uh, uh, amazing um, revolution. And, and, and so uh, I think that, that the issue of civil disobedience is not just a topic for the next generation. It's not just a topic for my children and their grandchildren. It's a topic that all of us need to look at and seriously consider. And as we go through Romans 13, um, just what does this mean for us? I wanted to, to I wanted to just mention first uh, the, about a, a video and kind of introduce the, the, the topic with that. But then as the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, probably a lot of you haven't seen it. So I'm going to show it. Uh, it's... Just out of curiosity, how many of you have seen the, the video of the, the pastor in Canada as he is basically calling the the, 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 the the health worker and the police to leave his church? How many of you have seen that? Some? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so anyway, um, this happened this, this Easter, Easter 2020, uh, 2021, sorry, in Canada. Um, so just, just a couple months ago. Uh, he was, he was this Polish pastor, a Christian, was in his service, and um, the police and, and a health worker came came into the the, the sanctuary, and uh, I wanted to see just just a few minutes of his response to this. So, John, if you don't care to pull it up and show it, out of this property immediately. I don't want to hear a word. Out. Out, out of this property, immediately until you come back with a warrant. Out, 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 out of this property, immediately out. Immediately go out and don't come back. Don't, I don't want to talk to you. Not a word. Out of this property, out of this property, immediately out. I don't care what you have to say. Out! Out! Out of this property, you Nazis! Out! Out! Gestapo is not allowed here. Immediately, Gestapo is not allowed! Out! So, um. Was he right? Was he biblical? I mean, here's this, this this pastor who's 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 basically trying to have a service, and the the this health health worker and and the police are coming in, 
COVID. Health inspection over COVID. That was that was their their grounds, um, and he wouldn't let him in. It goes on. There's a lot more to this. Two or three more minutes of the video. But the question we have to ask as a church, as, as a Christian, was he right? Well, and then in light of the scripture, you know, this this is so. How do we how do we and so look, as we read this passage? Because here's the issue. This is one of those places where, as you know, there are good godly men who've come down on both sides of this. You know that 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 there are there are there are pacifists who says no, he's not. There and there are good godly men who says yes. And as Christians, we we want to we, we want to. This is our this is we don't say this is just a good book to, to have and kind of keep as a reference book. This is our guide. This this is what we this is what we live by. So as we read this passage, um, I understand this this is this is a a, a not a, a very nice and pleasant Mother's Day <laughs> Mother's Day sermon. <laughs> I preach white cubs, John. Sorry, John, did you a hard time? But but it, it it it's where we are in the text. Um, so today we look at the case. For uh, biblical civil disobedience, and then next week, as good old Will, look at the practice. How do we practice biblical civil disobedience? But let's look at this. So let's read Romans one, uh, Romans thirteen one through seven. We won't get through all this today. I know that. I'm not planning on it. Um, but let's just read this this text and uh, um, and deal with it. So Romans thir- thir- Romans thirteen. Verses 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists what God has appointed, I'm sorry, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For the ruler is not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on evildoers. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So here is Paul, it says he continues this discussion of just what does it look like to live out this gospel? You know, chapters one to eleven, he's talked about the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation. This is this is our hope. This is our strength. The gospel. This is what changes us. And in, in chapter twelve, we said he made that switch. He said that he said, "I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because you have seen, you've seen God, you've seen Him. You know you deserve God's judgment." 
but God instead has seen his glory in that he's revealed Christ to you. Therefore, you present yourselves a living sacrifice, and you do this by changing the way you think. You think differently than you did before. It's called renewing your mind. And so how do we, he's talking about how do we live this out? And as he continues this living out this gospel, living out this new understanding of who God is, living out this renewed mind, he talks about our response to governments. How do we live in this world? How do we respond? How do we, how do we interact with governments? You know, traditionally in the world, governments are basically just tolerated. We just sort of, well, I'm just going to live my life, I'm going to do what I need to do, and I'm, there's a government out there, but I don't care. I, I, I just want it to leave me alone, and I'll do what i got to do, right? That's, that's how we want to treat governments. That's the response. They're kind of a necessary evil that we kind of look at and, 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 and try to ignore. It's a successful day if you can avoid the government. That's kind of our, our response to this. That's how we look at it. And it doesn't matter. Whether you're talking about a democracy, a republic, a monarchy, whatever it is, you know, we it is, we are successful if we can avoid the government for the most part. We want them to leave us alone and we'll leave them alone, sort of. This is our goal. This, this is it. And, you know, it's interesting to me that you really don't find a, a, a relationship to government explicitly mentioned in any other religion. If you do a search of, of Hinduism, government's not even mentioned. Islam. Other than theocracy, the idea that, that, that the Sharia law, this is uh, Sharia law, this, that's it. Government's not a response. But Paul and the Bible take a very different approach. Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as God is speaking to Paul, as God is telling Paul how we should live in this world, he tells us we are to live in submission, in subjection to the governing authorities. All of them. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 15. So it's not just Paul. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Pretty clear, isn't it? That we, are to, we as believers are to honor and to live in submission to every governmental institution. Not just the nice ones. Not just the ones we like. I mean, I don't know how much clearer can they make it, right? Pretty clear. And Paul goes on and explains why. Not just because it's, it's a good idea. He says, for there is no authority except from God. 
and those that have been and those that exist have been instituted by God. You know, we look at man we look at all these institutions, all these governments as man-made things. But Paul says, no, look again. Every authority that has ever existed or will ever exist has been instituted by God. Think about this. What a statement of God's sovereignty. I mean, this is this is an, an absolute statement of God's sovereignty. He's saying every single institute that ever existed has existed because of God has instituted it. God has done this. God has ordained it. He is, he is speaking of the sovereignty of God. In Psalm 2, as, as the psalmist writes, so when the nations rage against God, you know, here he's in Psalm 2 talks about the nations that are upset, that are angry, that are raging against God. The psalmist writes, He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derisions. And then in 10 and 11, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. God is absolutely sovereign over every single nation. Every government, every institution, God holds the name. There's no question about that. Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He will turn it wherever he will. There's, he, God, Paul puts it, Peter puts it, the Bible puts it, and no doubt, God is absolutely sovereign over all nations, over all governments. Therefore, because God is sovereign, because God is instituted, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Seems pretty clear, doesn't it? We all are to obey every human institution from the Lord. But now I can see in Matt and in and in, in, in Brandon and other guys, there's some discomfort here. Something's not fitting here. Something's not right. Something's, something's not working. You know, I mean, we're reading these scriptures and they seem absolutely clear. I mean, he's saying to disobey human institutions is to incur judgment. So we've cleared this up. God said it. I believe it. End of discussion. Right? <laughs> I guess I guess we can just we can just go on and talk about something else now, right? We know we're saying the government. This is it. You know, the rest is just sort of repeated. Let's just let's just talk about taxes, right? That's a lot more comfortable, you know. We'll jump on down to talk. You know, it, it seems like there's no room for civil disobedience, doesn't it? I mean, if you read this literally, just I mean, and we are literal, so we want to believe exactly what the word of God says. We read this and say, there's no room for civil disobedience. There's no wiggle room here. But we have a problem. What, what do we do with all those scriptures where men of God did not live subject to human institutions? Were they disobedient? Were they sinners? We just throw those out. 
we do. I mean, we, we, we take the Bible, we read it literally in the context. It seems pretty clear, but it has to fit into the context of Scripture on the whole. I mean, this is good hermeneutics. And so we've got this, our understanding of this passage, and, and I would challenge anyone, I would honestly challenge anyone to take Romans 13, 1 and 2, just Romans 13, 1 and 2, and come away with a different meaning than that. I don't see how you can. It seems pretty straightforward to me. But then we have the context. We have the, we have the whole biblical context. Mm-hmm. Hey, we have to deal with with uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, don't we? Which kind of question, isn't it funny? How we know them so much better by their Babylonian names than their Hebrew names? That, does that seem odd to anybody but me? Daniel, we got Daniel. Daniel makes sense. We, we, we don't care about his, his Babylonian name. But uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and, and uh, uh, Azariah, I don't know about you, we always on the Babylonian names. Kind of weird. But back to what, what about these? They refused to bow down. I mean, here was a, an, a, a government institution instituted by God that passed the law, Daniel 3, 12, and, 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 and they passed this law that said, when you hear this music, you have to bow down. They didn't do it. They refused. There are certain Jews whom you appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. They didn't obey. Are they incurring God's wrath now? God has a fun way of showing it. He saved them from the fire, right? Hmm. Or how about Daniel? Daniel refused to not pray. Daniel 6 and 7. All the high officials of the kingdom, the perfects, the, the, the per, the, sorry, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the lions. Skipping down to verse 10. When Daniel knew this document had been signed, he obeyed perfectly. Right? Not quite. He did not obey. He immediately, he went to his house where he had a window in his upper chamber to open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees, I mean, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to God as he had done previously. Or we could talk about Peter and John in Acts 4, 17 through 20. When they were before this human institution ordained by God, and they were they were ordered that so that no further spread of the gospel among the people, let them warn, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So look at this. Here are these men living in disobedience to the very institution that God has established. 
I guess it was danger for them, right? They're in trouble. You know, and we haven't even mentioned Moses or David before the, before before he was king when he was not living in submission to the, the Philistines. You know, I, I could go on, but I think I made my point. How do we understand what Paul is saying here in Romans 13 when we have these clear examples of these godly men not obeying the institutions that God has established? I mean, there are a couple approaches to the scripture, to this passage, that I believe that are really, really wrong. I know it sounds crazy, but I think I hear some people they take this. I guess one one approach I had mentioned is we just sort of ignore it and just skip over it altogether, right? That's in reply. That that's not a good one either. But for the first approach, they have a problem with. I read where, where one commentary said, "Well, you know, there are many groups that we're to live in submission to. You know, we're to live in submission to one another. You know, husbands are to live, or wives are to live in submission to, to husbands, and slaves and masters, and parent and children." And the governments are just one of those groups we're to live in submission to. And, and all these are relationships. And in all these, it's understood that God is to be first. So, yeah, we, we have this command to live in submission to, to you know, a, a husband is living, or I'm to live in submission to you, but only after I live in submission to God. So, so government's just one of those. Sounds good, but there's a problem with that in there. First of all, they are not called servants of God or God's ministers. And other than the fifth commandment about you know honoring your parents so that your days will be long, the command to, to submit to one another does not come with a warning of judgment. So I, I don't think that's what Paul's saying here. I don't think Paul's saying, well, submission to them is just like submission to parents, to children, or whatever else. No, he, he seems to be saying a lot more here. So I don't think that one fits. Another approach that I really concerned this problem was, and this is one I really hate, to be honest with you. I hate this one. That Paul knew that his epistle was going to be read by government officials, including Nero. I, I read this. This, this is from a, a pastor I really respect. But he, he said that that um, Paul knew that it's going to be read by others, so he was he was trying to tell Nero that that Christians are good citizens. And, and and that also he's writing to him telling him what kind of rumor he should be. As I said, I, I don't like this one. It, it sounded to me like that um, that he was saying that Nero inspired this section more than God did, you know. So uh, uh, that Paul really doesn't mean this. He's just writing what he thought Nero wanted to hear, basically needed to hear. Sorry, not wanted to hear. So I, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to buy into that one either. Instead, I'm going to operate on the assumption that Paul wrote exactly what God laid upon him to write, and he said it just as God intended. So then, how do we reconcile what God has, what Paul has said and what happened in the Scriptures, in the Bible? Were Daniel, Peter, John, and others rebelling against God when they stood up against uh, civil authorities? By no means. Absolutely not. So what is it in this passage that helps us reconcile? What is it in, in Romans 13 that helps us understand this and helps us to live out, to make decisions about civil disobedience? What does this look like? 
So I want you to listen to this reading, to this. If, if, if Paul's only goal was to make us, to, to, to encourage us to live in submission to other governments, if that was all he was doing, he was writing this so that we would learn how to live subject to governments, Paul could have said this. Listen carefully. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. He could have said that. I mean, I don't know about you, but it read pretty, pretty normally to me, pretty naturally to me. All I had to do was skip verses 3 and 4. And, and, and he said, and if he had just said that, we would have absolutely nothing to go on except to live in obedience to the civil authorities. If, I said, if Paul's goal was to convince us to obey the, God's ministers, the government, then this would have been enough. But instead, it's interesting that both Peter and Paul call for submissions and, and, and include conditions. In both of these, there's a condition in there. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to an emperor or as supreme, or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And Paul includes the same kind of warning. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. See, governments are to be ministers, God's ministers and God's servants. This is what God has established for them. They have, they have a place here. They have a purpose. They are to be God's ministers. When Nebuchadnezzar was sacking Jerusalem and carrying the Israelites off into captivity, he was acting as God's minister, God's servant. Now, we don't like what he was doing, especially if you were in Jerusalem. You really didn't like what he was doing. But he was still doing what God had called him to do. He was still acting as God's minister, God's servant. When he was demanding order in his city and fighting against anarchy and chaos, when Nebuchadnezzar was there and he was passing laws to, 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 to fight against chaos and, and, and anarchy and murder and strife and all that, he is acting as God's minister. When he's defending the, the, the borders of Babylon from other invaders, he is acting as God's minister. When he was demanding Daniel and the other people of God to bow down to him, he was not acting as God's minister. He was not. It's funny, I, um, Eli was doing a presentation on this the other day, and, and uh, as, as an ethics class, one of, my, one of my roles is kind of to challenge him on this. 
and so he 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 was had shared this and and um and so he we were talking about this so I said so you're telling me that even civil laws you would say can be God's laws he said yes I said so you're telling me that that a 35 mile an hour speed limit on Morgan's Road is a godly law. You can just tell he was he was he was like, oh, you know, I had I had him I had him pinned, which that's I love, that's what I love about ethics classes, anyway. But what I was really impressed was he said yes. I said how how can that be a godly law, Eli? He said because we have a command to love one another. And it's loving to keep one another safe. That's an important part of this. Keep one another safe. It's a God at all. I mean, I like it. But that's that's because of the rebellion in my heart, not because it's not a not a good all. And and I need to see this as God's all. Notice, please notice Paul says, for rulers are not. A terror to good conduct. Not he didn't say that they should be. He didn't say that 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 he, that rulers shouldn't be a terror to good conduct. He said they're not. Period. We think about that. How can it be, Paul? So we know, Paul. You know, within within a generation, the rulers. The same rulers you're talking about are going to try to be a terror to good conduct, to worshiping on God. That's that's their goal. They are going to try to be a terror to good conduct. But you're saying, don't worry about the governments. They're not. They are not a terror to God. God um, to, to good conduct. Does this mean that every good conduct will be okay and that's what happens to you? Nope. Sorry about that. It does mean, though, that God is absolutely sovereign over every authority and calls them to do as he would have them. You can rest in that. You can rest in that. God is absolutely sovereign over every authority. So what, what what does it mean? You know, he said, the king's heart is a stream of water in his hands. He turns wherever he wills. God is absolutely sovereign over the hearts of the nations and the kings. So here he is. He's, he's laying this out. As a believer, when he is when the government is bringing laws that that are calling you to live contrary to God's law. They are not acting as God's administrator. There is a place for civil disobedience in this. So back to the to the the man who in in the video was he biblically right? Did he have the biblical right to order them to to leave? Yes, he did. He absolutely did. When they came in with the sole purpose of disrupting the worship, 
they were not acting as God's ministry. And he was right to not be terrified. I mean, to, 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 they were not a terror to him. God's sovereign over them. He goes on in this passage, though. Paul says a really interesting thing. And, and I, I really, it's interesting the way the ESV translates it. It says that, that um, do what is good and you'll receive his approval, his being the government authorities. Um, and the question is, can God even cause the applause of government for good actions? Well, of course he can. It's possible. But I don't think that's what Paul's saying here. I, I, I want us to be careful with this. I like the Holman and the King James translations more, and I think that's helpful. What they write is do what is good, and you will have its approval. It being the approval for the action, as opposed to the ESV translation, and you'll receive his approval. His being the governmental authority. I say this, I like that translation for a couple reasons. Uh, first of all, though, most important, I don't believe the approval of government should hold much appeal to us. Do you? I don't think it's ever called to seek the approval of the, of the applause of the government. Paul writes in first in Galatians 1.10, For now... For am I now seeking the approval of man or from God? Or am I trying to, I'm sorry, yeah. Or am I trying to please man? If I am still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Or Colossians 3.22, whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord, not for men. So Paul, I think Paul is not saying here, do what is, do what is right, and you're going to get the approval of the government. You'll receive his applause. Basically, his approval or applause. I don't think that's uh, that should ever be the motivation. I don't think that's what he's saying. You get the approval of doing the right thing. You know, it is a hard. It's a hard idea. So, what does it mean to live in a country that we see um, chaos and 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 how do we how do we respond? How do we live this out? And as I said, there are many, I think, good godly men who by faith live in a way that says, you know what, no, I'm going to live literally the way it says, and I'm going to be subject to whatever authority that God brings, and therefore honor God that way. I just don't believe that's what the Scripture teaches in, in totality. I, I don't think it's what, I think Paul, as he's laying this out, he is telling me what is a, what is a godly authority that he's established? It is God's ministry. And I want to look, as we get into this more, I think another thing Paul does in this section is he actually lays out what is the call of the government, what is the role of the government. You know, the government's given by God mandates, a, 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 an order, things to do. I think they're, they've been called by God to wield the sword. And that means to protect the country and to punish lawlessness, to punish anarchy. And I could say from, from deduction of this, that means the government was never given the call to be educators. They're lousy at it. They were never given the call to be health providers. 
I'm not good at that either. Um, this is where it gets tough, you know. Um, there are things that the government's been clearly called to do, but I think this is where the governments have, have are stepping over this. So as as believers, how do we live in this world? So there is a case for biblical civil disobedience. But then how do we practice this? How do we do it right? Is there a way to do it right? Can we riot? Is that that biblical civil disobedience? No, of course not. So there is a wrong way to practice biblical civil disobedience. And the right way. And I think that's next week as we look into this more um, to talk about this. How do we practice biblical civil disobedience? Because we need to know. I would love to say, I believe as Christians, we never need to know that. Wouldn't it be great to be able to say we, we, we don't need this? Unfortunately, we do. So next week as we look into it more, how do we practice Biblical civil disobedience. I mean, how do we live out? How do we? And, and I think this is why. Why is it important for us as believers to practice biblical civil disobedience? Especially in light of the fact that Paul just said, as far as is within you, be at peace with all men. Can't we just, man, okay, I don't like what they're doing, but I, I'm just going to get along. I'm just going to, I'm just going to kind of portray this. This picture of a loving God. I'm just trying to get along. Isn't that, isn't that what we're called to do? Why in the world should we ever stand up? As I mean, that, you could look at that pastor and say, man, that didn't look very loving, did it? See, I would argue, and I believe what we'll find out is it is loving. Because the world needs to know that God is real. The world needs to know that, that there is a biblical standard of right and wrong. Not established by governments. Not established by, by, by human institutions, but established by God. And so, and, and so when we, 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 and, and when we obey, Joyfully obey the things that we can obey. When we when we submit, joyfully submit to the things we can submit to. And there are many things I don't like that we can still joyfully submit to. That allows us, that gives us the voice to stand up for the things that we can biblically stand up against. If we complain about everything, though, if we look at everything the government does and say, I don't like that. That's horrible. I don't like that either. That's horrible. Then what does it mean when we stand up about the things we see when the government tries to take our freedom to worship, our freedom to, to witness? It's just another thing we're going to add to our complaining. How does that speak? So I think Paul says, no, our, our, our goal is to be 
submissive. We want to be submissive. And even things we don't like and even things we don't agree with. We're going to live joyfully submissive to those things. Because we know that God's sovereign over them. And that's hard. Because, man, we complain really well. We practice, don't we? We start off practicing. We practice our whole life on how to complain. But this is for that new mind that God, that God has given us. And so when we live joyfully submission in everything that we can, when those things that come up that, that, that God brings to our hearts, that, that we can biblically stand against and say, that is not honoring God. That speaks louder than just adding another thing we're complaining against. Another thing we're, 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 we're complaining. If my complaints to my hindrance of worship sounds just like my complaints of obeying the 35 minor speed limit, something's wrong. There's something wrong as a Christian. Paul knows our hearts. We don't enjoy submitting to anyone, let alone a government. We want to just ignore them. We want them, man, just man, just, just leave me alone. And I was going to Paul said, no, guys, you don't, you don't understand. We're to live in submission, honoring them, submitting joyfully to them so that when they are not when when they are when they come out and, and they are trying to to not and they're not acting as ministers of God and they're trying to prevent you. Could you imagine just for a second, and I'll, and I'll close with this, Daniel. What if Daniel had been the loudest, most complaining, most miserable, most disobedient magistrate they had? And 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 the, the the this call to not prayer was just one more thing he didn't obey. What would it have said about him? But instead, he joyfully obeyed. He did everything he could joyfully. And then when it came to this, he didn't. It speaks more of the of what he's he's speaking out against than his heart. There is a case for civil disobedience, but but guys, it has to come from a life that is seeking to live submissive to government authorities, not one who just complains about everything. And we just found something else to complain about. I think for far too many of us, that's where it comes from. So this, this is the case for civil disobedience, biblical civil disobedience. A heart from, that is seeking to live in submission to government authorities. Every authority. Because we know they've been instituted by God, and we know that God's sovereign over it. 
so that when we see those places where it is not ministering God's will, and we know that because it's contrary to the Word of God, then we can stand up and say, that's not. You're not acting as God's minister in that place.